If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Joining us today for a cup of coffee to talk about the fifth episode of Andor. It is titled The Axe Forgets is a guy who never forgets and wields a mighty axe. <laughs> Drew Taylor. On Twitter? Yeah. Uh, yes, thank you so much for having me. I know I don't have coffee. I still am sipping on my giant Coke from McDonald's from lunch. So mm. ah, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to talk and or. You sound refreshed. And I'm, I'm, and I'm refreshed. excited to have you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> it was good to see you at, D20, at the D23 Expo. I want to get that right. We gotta I get that right. Person yeah. for a while, so it was, it was great to see you, pal. I know it was. I, I missed out on on a celebration this year, so um, I was so happy to get to see you and to hang out a little bit. I know we we both had crazy schedules, but um, yes, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Star Wars stuff at D twenty three. Just kidding. There was absolutely <laughs> no Star Wars stuff. Well, there was a little. There was like, uh, here's Jude Law. He's in Skeleton Crew. Okay. Well, the Indiana Star Jones Rams, stuff was pretty fantastic. That was great, but not not Star Wars. No movie. Still no movie. Yeah, I'm really hoping that changes, but but who knows what the powers that uh, be have in mind. What I do know is that Andor, how's that for a transition, is oh, is really something something unlike we've ever seen before. I haven't really gotten a chance to talk to you besides a few texts here and there. What do you about? What do you think about? And or overall, just the, the first five episodes, just kind of as one big sample. I mean, I I absolutely love the show. I mean, you know, we saw the the first four early, um, mm. and I was just blown away, basically. Um, and I just think it's the best. I I really really love it. And um, yeah, I think this. I mean, every week I think it gets better too. So um, mm. yeah. I just think it's the best. It's a, it's obviously I think the best TV show they've done, um, but uh, maybe it is 
just the best Star Wars thing that Disney has done? More than the Mandalorian? Definitely more than the Mandalorian. I just, I just jive with the, you know, just a shameless plug. You know, I have this Mission Impossible podcast. I love the Mm -hmm. kind of mechanics of the rebellion and this heist that they're planning and all that stuff. So I, I think more mature characters, a more complicated uh, storyline. Um, I just think it's great. I just think it's really great. I love Mandalorian for what it is, but mm-hmm. this is just a, a whole new level. I think it's a different step. It's it's definitely a much more mature take. I like the I like what you said about the mechanics because there's a lot of a lot of intricate interweavings and inter interwoven yes. nature of these characters. There's a lot of duality, uh, and because there are 12 episodes, we've only seen five. I'm assuming the heist will be in the next episode yes. or at least the beginnings of it, but who knows where they're going to go from there, but that's, that's great. So you obviously love it. I love it too. So let's talk. So letter grade for this episode for you and overall reactions to this particular episode. I think I know what you're going to say, but I just, I'd love to hear. I mean, I give this an, guess, get an, give this an A, a plus from me. I was so enveloped in, yeah, the mechanics of this, but also, uh, Cyril at home with his mother. Um, what is the what is the bad uh, imperial officer's name? The blonde woman. Oh, her name is. Uh, it starts with a D. I knew it until you said that. It'll come. It'll <laughs> come her, to her, me. Her yeah. whole story. I just. I thought it was great. You know. I hope we get back to. You know. I hope we get back to Andor's planet at some point, which I'm sure we will. That is my guess is that the empire will threaten uh, Bix and his, some of his uh, buddies on that, on that planet. But uh, for right now, I just loved, I loved, I loved it. I just loved the episode so much. Daedra, Daedra Miro, M-E-D-R-O. Yes, yeah. Daedra. So yeah, I, I give this an A plus completely. And I agree with you. I think it, it escalates. And every single every single episode gets a little bit more intense. And really, besides a little bit of episode three, we haven't seen much action at all. That doesn't bother me. I feel like this slow burn, speaking of light the fuse, like this slow right. burn is really, really going to pay off in, in, in explosive ways. I agree with you about the mechanics, uh, sort of the psychology of what it means to trust and putting your life on the line. And what, what are you fighting for is a really nice theme throughout this entire thing. And how they all react to that. Uh, we start this episode uh, with with Cyril in a, in a very Star Cruiser looking apartment. He's with his mother. Uh, she is pouring him blue milk on his cereal. I mean, you know, it, the the place is so sterile. He he's like a a humbled little boy in this environment. Talk about uh, what you notice here, because you do a lot of great reviews. Of course, for this. I mean, do you, do you ever sleep when there's a new Android that comes out? <laughs> I Well, I got up early to watch it today. Um, I loved just how sort of like belittling she was in that, those scenes and just like, you know, saving me the disappointment. And she has a friend that she can reach out to. I mean, it's just, it's really Uncle, relatable yeah. and, and, and human in a way that I feel like Star Wars hasn't been for a little while. Like or ever. you've either been in this position, you know somebody who's been in this position. It's mm-hmm. absolutely humiliating. He doesn't have the kind of um, emotional facility to, uh, you know, properly cope and move on. Um, 
And it was like a huge disaster, his whole attempt at getting Cassian. I mean, it was not great. It was a it was a boondoggle. So, you know, he's dealing with that. I, I just thought it was I, I thought that stuff was really great. And to me, that's the difference between this or, and something like The Mandalorian, which is, you know, they would set up, okay, you gotta go, you know, steal these payroll forms or whatever. And then it would be over by the end of the episode. There would be mm-hmm. no suspense. You know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but the amount of suspense that came from just a single TIE fighter yes. just kind of, you know, hovering along the distance. It's just like, that stuff was really impressive to me, the way that that the Gilroys and uh, I think Susanna White directed this one as well. Yes, The way that she, she staged all that stuff is just really, it's awesome. I was just blown away. They're they're pulling off Star Wars without special effects. I mean, yeah, of course you have it for the Tie Fighter, but if you even if you just heard the noise, that would right. be enough. That would be enough. And I I feel like that's that's a pretty significant feat. I mean, I'm sure there are some special effects here and there, but for the most part, there's not a lot. A lot of the the G Wiz spectacle, yeah, what you typically think of when you think of Star Wars. You know, again, it's much more adult. Seeing this man very much browbeat in this toxic relationship with his mother. Um, I, I love the scene. We keep talking about the cereal, or I do. Um, he <laughs> picks up like that little uh, new version of Captain Crunch or whatever it is, right? Uh, and as he's staring at, it, she's telling him, you know, you know, the first thing people notice about you is if you're going to slouch or not, you might as well wear a sign that says "I promise to disappoint you." And he's just looking. Yes. We know that he is very capable of standing up to people. At least he does to his to people that he is superior to in his previous employment but now we see very much uh it's things have changed a bit and when that when that particular sequence starts he's sitting on his bed in this very cold dark apartment and he's just staring out the window and if you turn on the captions it says that he's like whimpering as he's looking out the oh window. interesting yeah i thought that was fascinating well i love you know obviously the looking at the um the cereal, it's kind of got a, a brown and blue color scheme and it looks like a planet. Right? Yeah. So I think I think we're we're seeing the the beginning of him kind of becoming a lone wolf kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, there are people there's plenty of people like this right now online complaining about Star Wars or complaining about She Hulk or whatever. I mean, he's a really He's a really 2022 kind of guy in that regard. So I think it'll be interesting to see what levels of desperation, you know, he resorts to in terms of of getting his man. Because we see him kind of lonely and looking at the hologram later. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Just so much tension. It's just in every scene. And the mother, I mean, it's such a like, you know, Norman Bates kind of thing <laughs> yes, where he's just this yes. like loser at home and his mother is just haranguing him. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's pretty wild. I loved that stuff. But I even, find yeah, that... like the, the performances are the special effect in the show, right? Like the, mm, that's, that's what good. gives it that dazzle is these guys, these people are so great. You should be a writer. You've got, you've, you've really explained this quite well, I would say. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I mean, of course, you're a great writer, and as we all, everybody knows that. Um, so he keeps waiting for Uncle Harlow, even though he doesn't want to deal with Uncle Harlow. But then they transition out of that as she kind of carefully slides some food over to him. 
And then he has this, this run in, and I should have looked up this guy's name um, that uh, has gone through his stuff in the middle of the night. Uh, actually, I'm going to look it up right now while we're, while we're talking. His name is Arvel Skeen, A-R-V-E-L. And Arvel has been charged with going through his stuff, seeing kind of what he has, what he has to hide. And this is a theme throughout this episode of tension between the two of them that gets nicely wrapped up later or at least kind of piecemealed later. But what do you make about that opening sequence between those two? Um, is this when he's like shirtless on the you know yes. outside of it? Yeah. I thought that scene was super interesting. Um, mm. And I love that they bonded over being in prison. Like that's another uh-huh. thing is like, you know, these are such like blue collar guys and, you know, uh, Andor recognizes his tattoos and, He's got a Obviously great head tattoo is, and something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, there's a real understanding that they came from the same place. They just still don't trust each other. I don't think they, maybe they will never trust each other. But um, yeah, I loved that scene. I thought that was a really great kind of intro to the episode too. I just thought it was, it was wonderful. And you get the sense that, and this is when we kind of get the, the explanation of the title, right? Yes. Um, what is it? What is it? What is it? What? How does it go again? He says. He says that the the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how would you explain that metaphor? Well, these are I... these are these are people who have been kind of beaten down by the system, and there's a really beautiful part later where one of the other rebels is saying, you know, they hide behind multiple atrocities that it becomes kind of like you know, that their, that their evil is so all encompassing that it's hard to pinpoint exact examples of what they've done. And it's just, it's just amazing because obviously the whole show, when it's done, we'll see the arc of Andor's radicalization, right? Mm -hmm. Like not to jump ahead, but you know, at the end, it's kind of revealed that he was paid to, to be there to help them. And, you know, he is still like very much a mercenary in the, in the vein of Han Solo. And so yeah. instead of one movie, we're going to get 24 episodes, hopefully, should, yeah. should the second season come to pass, um, to see that transformation. And then when we get out of that, we move into another awkward, I think the, the moments with Perrin and Mon Mothma and her daughter, and the moments with Cyril and his mother are as tense, if not more so than anything with the Empire, because... It's it's just like a great Greek tragedy. The, the 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 parts that are more powerful that stand as a time are the things that are actually relatable to real people. There's so much tension here between Perrin and Mon Mothma. It's very very clear. Uh, you know, as a parent, as a parent, you're supposed to work together, even if you don't always agree with everything your spouse. Um, if you're not always on the same page, at least you put up a a united front around children. But there's a lot going on with. Her daughter, um, she is going to go, Mon Mothma is going to take her to school or something like that. It's, it's sort of yeah. unclear. Maybe I need to watch that part again. Um, and then uh, she says, no, you're just basically using me like as a dog and pony show. I mean, you know, I mean, what can you say besides the fact that it, it's beautifully done? The set is gorgeous. And Perrin clearly spends more time in his appearance than his relationship with his wife. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't know the name of the chauffeur. That's right. The driver. Yeah. Which is, which is a yeah, source I mean, of contention me, 
for her because yeah. she obviously is someone who cares about the people because she's the future leader of the rebellion. But it, it's all about like the um, the cost of that re- that commitment, right? Like, mm-hmm. how much are you willing to give up for the greater good? Um, and she's willing to kind of like abandon her family in a way. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really great. That. That's what I was thinking about. It's like, oh my god, she has to put up. She's living multiple lives within this, you know, society. And we saw last last episode, wonderful kind of spy craft that she and uh, Stellan Skarsgård are up to. Yeah, Lucy. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was it was really cool and really made me think about like what it would take to, you know, commit yourself so fully to something like that you know it's just yeah it's a lot it is a lot but but it it, it even goes a step further because this is clearly not a healthy dynamic these three this is not a tricycle that's that's driving smoothly down the road because she uh right away you know her daughter says to her dad i thought you were taking me because you're gonna have to clear it with her like she's almost not in the room uh, completely no support at all. Uh, and then the daughter says something like, you know, you're only doing this to show me off. Nobody cares. You can relax. Uh, Mon Mothra reacts and says that she's hurt by it. And yeah. then her daughter says, well, that's my point. You're making it all about you. But that's like a classic toxic dynamic, isn't it? Where the immature one thinks the opposite of what is actually going on. Clearly, there is no support. Do they really think that Mon Mothma is all about the outward appearance? I mean, if that is in fact true, then she's not only fooling the empire, but she's also fooling her family. And, and does that erode the family dynamic or was her husband already kind of a jerk to begin with? I mean, I guess that's what we're going to see. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we've seen images from various trailers and stuff of them at a dinner party and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really ready for this to explode, but you're right. I mean, they, these kind of like, to have a domestic drama, really multiple domestic dramas kind of nestled in a Star Wars story is pretty, pretty awesome. I love and we, that. We, I do too. And we have to say again, look, this is, this is not the Star Wars we grew up with. It's, it's very, very different. In fact, sometimes I wrestle pleasantly, and this is a good, fun little thing to think about. And again, I think it's silly to even consider it before we've got the entire piece. But how does this fit into a world with Luke Skywalker? And uh, yeah, Anakin Skywalker saying yippee. I mean, it's just so drastically different in tone. But I guess, and you would know this better than I because you've been writing about this kind of stuff for years. Marvel's done this for a long time and, and they've obviously pulled it off in spades. Yeah, I mean, it to me, there has been a kind of homin- a kind of homogenization of Star Wars, mm-hmm. especially under the kind of watchful eye of Dave Filoni. And to me, this is really nice that it shows that there are multiple types of stories in the Star Wars galaxy that you can tell. I think that's very refreshing and very heartening, probably for, for creators to know as well that there are, you know, different stories out there. And, and this kind of like suspense drama can, can go alongside a more kind of outward adventure like Mandalorian and who knows what else is out there. I would love to see, you know, if there's a horror story out there, if there's a romantic comedy story out there. I mean, that's sort of what visions too 
showed is like, oh no, the, the, the elasticity of the Star Wars universe is something that's kind of been untapped in recent years. So, right. I like it's that. It's good to see. It is good to see. It's really, really cool. Uh, then we go to a scene where they're all kind of, kind of sitting around this, uh, having breakfast, I guess. And Cassian is talking with Karis Nemec. And Karis is a very interesting, he's very young. He's always been very welcoming from the beginning. He seems to be the only one in this group that doesn't have some sort of a hard edge to him. And he starts to read sort of his manifesto to Cassian yes. about all, all the reasons why, what is wrong. He says it's easier to hide find 40 atrocities in a single incident. He's got all these. There it is. There it is. You've got the yeah. quote for me. Thank you. Yeah, yes. you're welcome. Yeah. Well, talk to me about that quote. I mean, I just thought it was really powerful and it was, and it speaks to the kind of like uphill battle of this rebellion. Like mm-hmm. how could you even like, you know, think about trying something. And, and that's why I think that the, that it's so interesting that they're putting so much pressure on something as seemingly, mundane as uh lifting these um time cards or tax reports or whatever it is that they're trying to get out of this oh, facility the, the, the payroll payroll uh, that's what it what, is. was it a month of uh imperial payroll is that, i think it's a month it's, it's a significant yeah. amount yeah so it's like it's, well that's not exciting i mean that's not a you know coaxium or whatever the hell they you know are lifting <laughs> in solo <laughs> But it's it's important, and then on and the and the smugglers run, yeah, yeah, yeah and the smugglers run, yeah. So it's important that these little kind of tactical, you know, things that dismantle, which we also hear about later on, that there have been there have been multiple kind of heists around imperial space that are starting to add up to something greater. Um, it's pretty fascinating. I love it. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I love that I, I love the, I do too. I, I love the next sequence where um, they're trying to figure out the weight of this ship, whether it's on a rail, is it mounted, whatever. And he can't believe that they didn't already think this through. So as, as tightly constructed as this, as this band of um, miscreants are when the, uh, approaching the mighty empire, there's still some things that they're just like Vel's plan. Like, you know, we knew it would be messy, but I think, you know, we would have figured it out. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to pilot this thing. If my butt is on the line, I'm going to be the one in charge. And they just, they just relent. It's kind of cool how he is, slowly i mean a graduate's a really small amount of time just what is it three days four days something like that he's slowly kind of becoming the leader uh but i think the best reason why he's becoming more effective is he's not interested in leading this is just kind of like look i see it this way you don't have to do what i want i don't care but i'm going to do this because i want to survive and he's just you mentioned han solo he's 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 kind of got that roguish nature but he's completely hard nosed. Like there is zero charm about Cassie yeah. and or which I, which makes this show more realistic, I think, and in ironically appealing too. 
Yeah, I mean, you're totally drawn into him because he's so sympathetic and so he's so broken. And I think what's interesting too about that scene is that he has the technical expertise because he also knows where the hatch is or whatever, or the lever or whatever that's going to dismount this train or ship or whatever it is that he's getting into. We haven't we haven't really seen it yet. A so load he, clutch is what they a say. A load clutch. So he so they these guys in this little cell have the kind of ideological understanding of this mission and he has the kind of technical know-how to get it done. And it's a really interesting mesh. And I think at some point, obviously there will be kind of a transference. Well, they'll, they'll know sort of technically more about how to pull off these jobs and he will become a true convert to the cause in a way that um, he wasn't before. Right. Right. There, there's a quick sequence with the, uh, the, the, the gentleman, uh, Lieutenant Gorn, who is their basically behind the scenes man. He's, he's a traitor to the empire, I, I suppose. Um, it looks like he's inspecting, I don't know, some place where the Imperials are just hanging out for fun for, for poops and giggles, I guess, you know, we, so there's quick cutaways between that. And then we, we jump back to, um, the, the gentleman who's also in charge. I can't think of his name now. Uh, he has almost a, a, a run in with Cassian where he's Cassian says, don't touch him. If you want something, you tell me like Cassian still got that, you know, lay off me, dude. Like I, I am not going to be pushed around and they relent to him, which of course that makes sense to me. But then I, I love the transition. I'm kind of rambling here. I love the transition to can you march? And then there's different shots of Imperials marching and Hey, we're going to set up our hotel here. You know, they, like I think Cassian says in the second or third episode, the Empire is basically fat and lazy. Uh, and yeah. they take everything for granted, very conceited. Where then you jump back to Cassian and everybody kind of in the dirt and the mud and the grime marching. And then Cassian does something really, really cool that I noticed that I maybe you noticed first time too. You know, everybody's got to, if you're left-handed, switch sides. You know, and I like, and I, I just love that little sequence. I feel like it says a lot about communication and how astute casting is without spilling it out for the audience. Yeah. It's a wonderful character moment. And uh, him, when she's like, well, who's who, who here is left-handed and who's right-handed. And he goes through the whole group and then he says, you have to draw with your opposite hand and all that stuff. It was just, it was great. I mean, they, they, he's a character who has been completely beaten down and kind of underestimated his entire life from being a, you know, orphan to hooking up with the Fiona Shaw character to being in prison, to being in the army. I mean, he's always been kind of looked down upon and undervalued and for him to finally assert himself in a way that impresses somebody else I thought was, was really powerful. It was super cool. Like, you know, he favors right, but he shoots left. You sh they, and she just, just starts quizzing him. And then this is the yeah. sequence after that, where it, which where you talked about a little bit earlier, where that tie shows up and, and the suspense is great. They have to hide their blasters. And then the tie, like, kind of pulls a maverick and it swoops yes. down, like, and does, like, kind of a flyby. I thought that was the end. I wonder if that's going to come back later, if that's just some Imperial hot dogging, because they do talk later in the show about how, the Empire is very dismissive of the locals on this planet, which is nothing new to Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, if we want to talk about that scene, is that the next scene that we get? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. close, isn't it? 
So yeah. yeah, that scene was really interesting because he, you know, he's their man inside, but he also has this secret that he's he fell in love with a woman on that planet who was killed or misplaced or displaced or Not I mean, they're no longer yeah. together. Uh, and so for him to kind of have to listen to this kind of like racist, you know, baloney that these guys are spouting, it really shows you where the kind of seeds of rebellion can can spring from in the Star Wars universe. And what's so great about what they're doing with Andor is they're making everything so personal and so granular so that you really understand where it came from. You know, I think that was kind of something that, especially in the sequel trilogy, you kind of just didn't understand, okay, why is, why is the rebellion still going on? How did the First Order come to be? And why are they using all the Empire stuff? And it's like, right. you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of puts you at a little bit of a distance emotionally. Uh, and and why whereas, do we care about Hosni and Prime blowing up and we've never heard anything about it? When we've never heard of, but we do. Hear why about is that it a major? Episode. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When Deirdre is talking, and there's actually some great little Easter egg things and references to other things going on in the world of Star Wars. In fact, I'm I'm pulling it up here now to see if I can get the specific names. I I believe they mentioned Jakku. Yep. So from the from the from in this timeline we don't we've never heard anything about anything happening in Jakku, but there obviously there's something there or there will be something there in a future comic book or a story. Apparently, so we got there, Kessel. apparently there was a a um a secret empire base on Jakku. That was in one of the books or something. I I read. Oh, that I wonder today. if that was an aftermath. That might have been an aftermath. But they mentioned Kessel. They mm-hmm. mentioned Fondor, which doesn't uh, spring to mind right away. Targeting consoles from Jakku, uh, and then from the base K, the Steer Guard Star Path. I'm not sure. I'm sure other people have have looked into this right now. But I like how Deirdre's like, this is too spread out to be organized. But then I believe her companion says, it's too random to be random. Does that sound right to you? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love. I love this kind of like you know, Gestapo um, yeah. unit of the Empire that we get to see for the first time. And I also love that she is like popping um, uh, amphetamine, seemingly, yeah. of the Star Wars Something. universe to stay Maybe awake. It's a um, yeah. I don't think it was <laughs> I don't think it was a breadman. <laughs> but I mean to, to draw the parallel, you know, that um, amphetamines were a a huge part of the Nazi war machine. Um, yeah. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. And again, another just level of adult uh, and character that we have, you know, we have not seen before. We have not seen someone take a pill in star Wars. And now we have mm-hmm. because of the show. It's pretty awesome. I think it's yeah. really, really interesting. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Again, the, the, the humanity, uh, and yes. the realism. Plus, I, I, you know, we didn't see like a human side of Grand Moff Tarkin or, or any any other Imperials. Tarkin was the only one that really spent any significant amount of time with, and even that was very very limited. So to see it from that perspective, and it's almost like they can portray them as almost like they're the good guys because in their minds they are the good guys, aren't they? Yeah, and that and that's yeah. that's like that's like the the classic trope. We jump back to the mother whose name is Edie, E-E-D-Y. Cyril's sitting there looking at his cereal, dumping it out on his spoon. 
Uh, and his mother's basically saying, you know, we never really thought that police work was your plan. We don't really know what to do with you. Cyril continues to sit there and allow himself to be browbeat. It's just more squirmy stuff. But then we're getting closer and closer to when it's time for. And that is a bit of a confrontation, I would say, where uh, what's his name? Uh, Arvel sneaks up behind Cassian with a knife and takes his Kyber crystal from him. And well, I guess there, there's actually something before that that goes on. But we'll I, I was actually later. wondering if you could if you could explain this moment to me a little uh, bit better. Sure. Because uh, he says just... this thing about, he says this thing about like, why are you here if you have treasure? You know, it, it must be that Kyber is some kind of, you know, if not a diamond, then some, something else similarly kind of rare uh, or whatever. Um, and yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I was wondering what your reading of that was. I mean, Kyber is, of course, the crystal that powers lightsabers. It's it's also the 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 what is used to fuel the Death Star's laser. Yeah. Um, and it's insanely rare in the world of Star Wars. It's probably the rarest gem or stone that exists in the Star Wars galaxy, to my knowledge. So the fact that he has one that's worth what three hundred thousand credits, I believe they say. He's like, well, I mean, because he has he doesn't announce yet when this is revealed, you know, about money. But I think he's my guess is he's thinking, why do we need this money when you've got this much around your neck? Like we're risking our necks and you've got something that's so valuable right here. Like we don't even have to do this. That That's one possibility. And also along the lines of why if you're rich, why are you slumming it with us and trying to destroy the empire? Maybe maybe there's an association which wouldn't surprise me. Of wealth equals you're an oppressor. Evil. Yes, yeah. of course. Right. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, because you're right, we haven't really seen Kyber discussed that much. It's the only mention um, or reference to the Force in any way, shape, or form. And that's just that Kyber crystal that he's got. That's it. Right. And again, it's it's the most spiritual thing about him, really. Yes. Because he's yes. not... Um, he isn't the praying sort. No, he's not. He's not like uh, our boys at the uh, the Temple of the Wills. Uh, he is <laughs> much more, <laughs> much more removed. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, amazing, and 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 that Kyber crystal is, I think, even like a rarer. Yeah, version or something, right? It's like he's like it's the sky blue, whatever. Yeah, blue like, stone or something. Yeah, that blue, was a, yeah. a new new explanation I'd never heard before. So uh, I thought that we, was really interesting, but yeah, I love it, and I and I think that I'm glad you brought that as a, as a topic of discussion because I hadn't considered that before. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, whenever we see Lieutenant Gorn, I and he's talking with his crew. I love how he kind of subtly encourages them to be like, you know what? No, we want to be on the surface. We want to see the eye open. We want to see this like natural uh, elemental power that only happens every couple of years. And Gorn smiles because he knows that that's going to help execute their plan. But then this is when we get into the fight. This is when he is ambushed. And he says that, you know, I, I knew you were lying. I just don't trust you. 
Uh, and the actual line that he says, look, I've, he's got Kyber. It's called Sky Kyber, which again, okay. heard before. Um, okay. He talks about how it's glowing and valuable. So he says he comes here with nothing but the clothes on his back and it's done worth 30,000 credits. So why does it bother right. him? He says he's just, it's just another reason to not trust him. And then Cassian has this amazing way that he diffuses the entire thing. He's like, you know what? I'll, I'll kill you if you don't give me that. And then he basically talks his way out of it by saying, let me, I'm going to try to get to the exact thing. He says, you can't live with it. Uh, you know, if you can't live with it, it's fine. I'll wash away and I'll wish you luck. Wish you luck. But here's what this thing is. I'm not going to walk and look over my shoulders because I don't trust any of you. Uh, that is completely, you know, that makes sense to me. But the thing that really sells it for me is when he says, hold on, let me find it here. Um, I know who you are. I know who I am. It, yeah, the money is nice, but you're the one who's afraid. And Cassie says, yeah, I am afraid. But there's a difference between being fearful and losing your nerve. But if you want to get out of it, that's fine. But don't use me as an excuse. He really pulls some great psychological ideas here that are very high level thing and it shuts it all down completely shuts it all right. down. and i had to rewind that several times because i think it's really powerful yeah that's great um yeah i mean this is the beginning uh, you know the true beginning i feel like of his journey to where he is in uh row one Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard to juxtapose this character with the guy that shot a shot an informant in cold blood mm -hmm. um, in that movie. So, yeah, I mean, this it's just such a wonderful character study. Just it's just great. I love it. So and much. then I do, too. And there's really not a ton left other than the, the apology that Arvo gives it's very an unorthodox policy look this is why I hate the empire they they ruined my brother and his farm and he basically committed suicide he fills his pockets with stones on a boat and he drowns because he just couldn't deal with it anymore he says look that's the closest to an apology as you're going to get and Cassian's like what is he saying like that'll do or that's that's good enough for me and I feel like that I feel right. like they're good but this is like I don't know it's so dude-centric but like in in the in the best way possible because it's very honest. I've been hurt. This right. is why I'm a jerk. This is why I don't trust. This is why I hate the empire. And to be honest, I don't trust you, Cassie and or whatever your name is. Your name is Clem, actually, in this because yeah, money isn't enough of a reason for you to do all this stuff. But obviously, Cassian is not putting down all of his cards. I really thought Drew in that moment. I thought he was. I mean, he does admit the money thing, which I thought was massive and huge. But his other yeah. secrets, I feel like there's probably not too many people that know besides uh, that that silly droid B2 that everyone seems to be really excited about. I really love B2. Can we talk about I, how great B2 is? Please. I think he's great. I mean, I think he's really, really... Uh, red. He's really funny, red. And he's kind of, like, kind of like beaten down by life. I felt very connected to, to that aspect of it. <laughs> Um, you're yeah, much more charming great well yeah, yeah i mean he's he's kind of an energy vampire to use another term of uh from uh from what we do in the shadows but i mean you know that what i love about the droid is that it is totally aesthetically in line with the rest of andor in the sense that he is 
kind of a junkyard dog type mm-hmm. character, like a kind of a family dog. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just think he's he's really cool. And uh, I love his design and how he can kind of move around, you know, his kind of like segmented body that he could turn around. And um, yeah, I was just very, very impressed. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, so then at the end, uh, the torch is lit. There's a signal. And this is around the moment where I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, it's going to be over. I feel like that's a mark of a great show. Like when you can end every episode with people clamoring for more, you're doing your job as a storyteller. And then just when you think you're not going to see Luthen, he's he's worried. He's angsty about this big thing that's going to go down. And we, we haven't spent a lot of time with Luthen, but he always seems very cool and in control. Here he seems nervous and human. Mm-hmm. And he's talking with his assistant and she and he's like, uh, she says, you know, we're going to be ready. Uh, it'll all be over this time tomorrow. And then he says two things. He says, or it's just going to be, it's just one thing he says, or it's just going to be starting. Like this is the big first blow it gets a little confusing because the timeline is all over the place between this and rebels and solo and you know everything going on um in this in this series and rogue one but i mean the first major major blow is of course stealing the death star plans and blowing up the death star because that changes everything but you gotta get through a lot before you get to this point this may be in fact the first time the uh the growing rebellion makes a giant name for itself and maybe this is how we start getting everybody together like we see later in uh, the first or all the, the entire series of Star Wars Rebels. I don't know, but it ends absolutely beautifully. Luthen turns off the radio, walks away, and then boom, we get the credits. It's uh, how quick is it? It's only a, it's a 39 minute episode before you get to the credits themselves, which is like six minutes and 22 seconds long. But it packs a massive punch. Well, can we talk about that exchange between him and the other woman there? Because what I thought was interesting was that there's times in that moment where you feel like she's maybe the leader. Like he, you know, it's kind yeah. of been established that he's the one kind of going out and he found Cassian and he's got this crazy ship that can do all this stuff. And and it's like, well, she is, she really is in control in that scene. And mm-hmm. she feels, and, and until that point, you thought maybe she could have been just a shop girl in his antique store. So I thought that was a really interesting shift, that dynamic. And it's also just, it just speaks to this whole theme in the show of like, you know, don't, you know, the book, you don't judge a book by its cover. Don't underestimate the working class people or the people that you just walk by and forget. And you don't know the name of the chauffeur and all this stuff. It's like, Right, You know, there is real power there and there's power in every kind of like uh, strata of this rebellion. So mm-hmm. don't, don't take anybody for granted. Relationships and the individual are what matter. And Mon Mothma yeah. sees that. And I, I'm, I like her character much more than I expect. I mean, I've always appreciated her and understood that she's important. But in this series, which makes sense because you're spending more time with them, I, I really like her a lot more. One thing I know I always like is talking to you, my friend. And I really appreciate Thanks for you. for having me. Of course, coming on the show, all of your petitions and your 
your online uh, GoFundMe to get you back on the show worked. Congratulations <laughs> to and, you. And uh, my OnlyFans page was blowing up to to come back on the show. It's just feed yeah. stuff. Don't worry. But you know, I think I want to. Now I am worried. I a commitment to you on the sh- on the air. Yeah, I get to come back and talk about the finale. That's what I want to do. I want to okay. look at this season in total. Really break it down. Maybe it can be a little bit longer episode. We break down everything we liked, we disliked about the first season of Andor, okay. part one of two. And I like um, it. yeah, okay. All right. Uh, hey, you know you got an open spot, my friend. It's more about your schedule than anything. You're you're the you're the male of the plan interviewing Tom Cruise and in, in touring the world. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but yes, we did talk to Tom Cruise. If you if you're Interest intersect from Star Wars to Mission Impossible, please, and, and Top Gun Maverick, please come on by. Uh, Light the Fuse, uh, which is a, a podcast I host with Charles Hood about uh, the Mission Impossible franchise. And if you like animation, you know, come, come listen to Fine Tuning, starring your, uh, your fellow cohort, Jim Hill. Uh, That's right. And uh, I don't know how else. And you can follow me on Twitter, Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. Uh, that's right. I think that's it. That's all I have to. That's all I have to to uh, plug today. I guess. Well, I think that's but. pretty significant. I mean, I, I love what, reading your reviews. I love hearing you with Jim. And uh, Light the Fuse is legitimately deliciously entertaining. And and your the two of your chemistry and your enthusiasm for uh, everything that is going on in the world of Tom Cruise and Top Gun and Light. You know everything with Mission Impossible. I love. I learn. I feel like. I said this to you before, but I'll say it again on the show. That interview that you had with with Cruz and and everybody that worked on that, all the all the 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 the, the Zoom bombs and all that, it was a masterclass <laughs> in how film works. And I, I absolutely I loved it, man. It is just like absolutely must listen to. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I do think that's one of the the good things about the show is we talk to everybody involved in these movies, not. We had crews on, which was amazing, but mm-hmm. we have talked to visual effects supervisors and costume designers and, you know, composers, editors, editors which, you know, we should talk about how good Nicholas Bertel's score is for Andor, too, especially That's that piece of music beautiful. that went into the credits. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't know where yeah. the soundtrack album is or if it's coming or what, but yeah, it's really something else. Um, That's great. Yeah. But yeah, we try to like we try to shout out everybody that that worked on these movies and were so instrumental in making them great. So if you if you're interested in filmmaking, I think it's a lot of you know behind the scenes granular stuff about the way these movies are made. So and we've had a lot of Star Wars crossover too. So yes, absolutely. Well, hey man, thanks again for having a cup of coffee or a coke from lunchtime from McDonald's with me. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. 